At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, Today, many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. Now, this is what we are faced with, and this is the reality. Now, when we come to Washington in this campaign, we are coming to get our check. We in here, we in here. Good afternoon and happy Monday. It is also MLK Day, and so we are here. Uh, they did not get the day off, so they are here with me. Um, welcome to Black versus the Board of Education. My name is Miss Laureen, and I am your hostess with the mostest. Um, it's just it's a lot going on today. We thank you for being patient with us. We are about 15 minutes late on the start, but it's all good because we got a full show for you today. Um, and while we're at it, why don't we go ahead and introduce ourselves, let people know who's in the building. Hey, Miss Lisa, uh, let me start with Melissa. Hi, everyone. My name is Melissa, and I'm a 15-year-old sophomore in the Southern California area and really excited about this conversation today. Oh, I'm so excited, too. I'm just so excited. I can't wait to go. Um, hey, Miss Didi, go ahead and introduce yourself, love. Hey, y'all. My name is Adia, and I'm a 16-year-old junior in the Sacramento area. And not only is she a junior in the Sacramento area, she is a stellar junior. I, I think mom posted something about a 4.67 GPA. Is that that is that right? <laughs> Diddy over here cutting up in school. Come on. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. And we'll round out with Sam. Hey, Sam. <laughs> Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello. Let me fix my hat real quick. Okay. Okay. I'm 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 a whole uh, I'm. 11-year-old fifth grader that's homeschooled, and uh, I want to talk about MLK. Not the watered-down version, though. The one you learn in, not the one you learn in school. Okay, so we're going to put them up on some game today. It's all good. And I'm surprised you have on the uh, Warriors hat and not the Niners cap. Now, I know y'all was screaming at the TV yesterday. <laughs> I don't know if he's froze. Did he freeze? All right. Well, we'll wait for him to log back in. But um, I wanted to start hey. off because I. Hey. What'd you say? I, I, I support both. You can support I'm both. I'm some internet difficulties. 
Okay, and I know y'all have a whole snowstorm in in Georgia, so we just gonna gonna wait for for you to pop in. It's all good. It's all good. We are gonna take it as we get it. So look, I wanted to share some things with you guys because I've been seeing some interesting posts, um, kind of on social media, and we want to kind of give the framework or the context for which we'll be uh, working on today. So this one says, before you hit publish on that MLK clout chasing post tomorrow, this was from yesterday, of course, um, ask yourself, do my words and actions on the other 364 days of the year positively reflect MLK's legacy? If not, don't bother. We have more work to do. Um, also, let me see. Uh, the United States has convinced, I think they meant so many people, that MLK Day is a day full of service. MLK wasn't interested in service. He was interested in the redistribution of wealth to render poverty obsolete, less service, more redistribution. And she didn't stop there. She said the United States has convinced so many people. Wait, I didn't move. Uh, may the MLK post you post today align with your words and actions you choose over the next 364 let me stop this because they're going too fast. Uh, so this is the, is this the governor of, of Texas right here? Nearly 60 years ago, MLK Jr. articulated a vision of freedom, equality, and opportunity in his famous I Have a Dream speech. That's like the only speech they know. Um, <laughs> that's the only one they quote from, but we'll get to that in a moment. Um, and he inspired hope in our nation and that beacon of hope and liberty still burns bright in Texas. And this person responded to him, you signed a bill this year that eliminated requirements for schools to teach about MLK. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> and let's see this one. Uh, never forget, they didn't love Dr. King until after they killed him, omitted three-fourths of what he actually stood for, condensed and contorted his message to be beneficial to them, and turned him into the symbol they created. People, they own it. Activism and abolition are everyday commitments, not just on MLK. So, you know, when, when people start to talk to you uh, about MLK, what do you guys feel is the significance of the day for you? Um, let me go ahead and start with Sam if he's back. Come on, Sam. Okay. Uh, I got it all situated. You got um, Okay. So, MLK Day, the significance is like that. It's significant that a a very influential per a very influential person in the civil rights movement, one of the basically like one of the stone marks. Like you got Fred Han you got Fred Hammond, you got Malcolm X, and you got MLK Hampton. Hampton, yes. Hampton. Mm -hmm. yes, yes. I got it right. I got it right. I always confuse it. The, the pronunciation. I don't know why. I don't know why. It's okay. It's all right. Okay. So you're saying he was one of the architects of the civil rights movement, right? And so Not, why yeah. is today so significant, though? Why do you think it should be significant? Because he kind of, he, as well as other people, pushed the civil rights movement forward and Black people forward. We still have work to do, but he's pushed it to a point where we we can we can make up the the rest. We 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 can make up the rest right now. And ha uh, he laid the ground. He laid the groundwork, and 
created it. So I'm, I'm trying to think of my words right now. Right. Go ahead, and, uh, go ahead and, and think of your your words, and we'll pop over to Didi. Why is today so significant for you? Um, I think MLK Day is really significant, just to, like honor MLK and like all that. Um, he kind of showed the world, but also like kind of like how the post talking about like really honor his legacy. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the best way to honor his legacy is with action, right? And kind of reframing what that looks like because we still have a lot of the work to do. Like I think Sam was saying before. So what are, you know, we all gonna do in order to make his legacy a reality? Right, Melissa. It's significant to me because he put his life on the line for an entire group of people because he, he knew how important that was. He knew that he would be one of the only people to do that. And so he, he did it in a way that should have been respected. And even today it is not. Um, and we do have a lot of work to do, you know, like Sam said, but I, I want to be able to be like Martin Luther King Jr. I want to be able to try and make a change for this generation and generations to come. So it's important to me because he put his life on the line and he did a lot of things. He changed a lot in history to make it better for future generations. He wasn't just thinking about himself and the people in his generation. He was thinking about how he would want his kids to live and his kids' kids. He was thinking about the future. Yeah, and I think that People tend to, to talk about him, but they don't read his works, right? And they don't really know the real him. They know the one that, that's been kind of sanitized, the one that's kind of been whitewashed, the one that's kind of been palatable. Um, but they never really talk about, you know, the person that he actually was. They like to present him as an alternative to Malcolm X, as if he was just this punk, right? That he was just like, oh... Let me just, you know, do whatever, you know, what, what, what needs to be done, but, you know, I'm just going to get in here and acquiesce and that's just not who he is as a person. I wanted to kind of read this portion of the uh, letter from the Birmingham jail. It says, first, I must confess that over the last few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the mo white moderate. I have all almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride towards freedom is not the white citizen counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is an absence of tension to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot, with your I cannot agree with your methods of direct action who paternalistically feels that he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by the myth of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait until a more convenient season. Um, and so we're kind of like, it, it, it seems like in the political arena, right? We're always told to wait. We are always told to, they have to focus on this first. There's always something more important. And so I think the significance of this day is to not just talk about it, but to be about it, to not just be comfortable and complacent, but to really get in there and start doing the work that needs to be done to change the position of the folks who need the resources the most. And that's the folks who help build this country. So I took the liberty of making a slideshow for us all because I wanted to kind of keep us on task. And I know we have a lot of quotes to get through um, in this book, 
Um, and we're, for all those who are watching, we did um, review the book, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community by Dr. King. If you want to know about a person, the best thing to do is to get in there and start reading about the things that he says. And so um, I know you guys had a couple of quotes, so um, I'm going to start with some. And if you want to put something in there, let me know and we can we can get in on with it. Oh, sorry. Okay, so it says, they believe that American society is essentially hospitable to fair play and to steady growth towards a middle-class utopia embodying racial harmony. But unfortunately, this is a fantasy of self-deception and comfortable vanity. Overwhelmingly, America is still struggling with irresolution and contradictions. It has been sincere and even ardent in welcoming some change, but too quickly apathy and disinterest rise to the surface when the next logical steps are to be taken. Um, Didi, when you read that, what is that saying in, in real terms right now? Because again, they have this fairy tale version of kings that they like to present. And they, they think that he's all, let's do it with love. But that's clearly not what this is saying. So mm -hmm. when you're reading this and you're looking at it in, in, in the book, what kind of comes to mind or what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I think this is really true because I feel like what he's also touching on is there's like a lot of talk or there's like a lot of like, we're going to give you like, uh, you know, like an inch, but mm -hmm. it's like, it's never, it's never going anywhere, right? Like I've been thinking about this actually a lot lately because we're learning about um, the, reconstru the reconstruction era in my history class. And then you see all these things, it's like, oh, we're trying to, you know, make black people, you know, now they're citizens or trying to help them, blah, blah, blah. But nothing is happening for the actual advancement of black people in society. So I feel like kind of even just relating it to today. And I feel like what this quote is kind of speaking on, it feels like we're always in this reconstruction era, like since mm -hmm. slavery, since slavery ended, you know, it didn't actually end, but we're, we've constantly been in this reconstruction era where it's like, oh, we passed this law nobody can discriminate against you everybody's still discriminating against black people and it's like oh slavery can't exist slavery does still exist so I feel like what this is kind of talking about is like there's always almost like a curtain up and what's what's really going on and what's like being presented and what's actually going on um so yeah that's just what came to mind when I read this quote um for the first time yeah and I want to acknowledge that Jada has decided to join us so Jada is in the building um and so Let's go to the next one. I'm sorry. I'm gonna try to. I'm trying to do both. Talk in. I don't know. Let's see. What number is this? <laughs> let me get my life together. All right. Uh, let me just do this with the arrow. Yeah. There you go. All right. So, um, go ahead and read this one, Jada. Go ahead and read it. And Melissa, go ahead and answer it. White America would have liked to believe that in the past 10 years, a mechanism had somehow been created that needed only orderly and smooth tending for the painless accomplishment of change. Yet, this is precisely what has not been achieved. Every civil rights law is still substantially more dishonored than honored. Page 10, where do we go from here? MLK Jr. Yeah, this is going, this is almost exactly like the last one, talking about what, almost like what Didi was saying, like, everyone wants to act like everything is okay or like this quote is saying you only need that basically saying that the system is perfect and that we should all be happy and you only need to make a few minor changes when that is so untrue especially for black people a perfect example would be um the 
Kyle Rittenhouse case where you have things that have happened in the past, like let's just say like George Floyd's murder and the cop who killed him, can't remember his name, uh, Derek Chauvin, and how he got sentenced to however many years, you know? But so you see that and you kind of think, okay, maybe something's changing. Maybe, you know, the system, we know the system is meant to not work for us as black people. It was built on a racist country. Um, people who founded this country owned slaves. So, but you see a change in recent history and you're like, okay, maybe this is, maybe something is happening. But like Didi said, they're just giving us an inch and we still have so far to go. And then you see Kyle Rittenhouse who gets to walk away free after killing people at what was supposed to be a peaceful protest for Black Lives Matter. So you see, you just see so many differences and it's like nothing is changing. This quote wants to act like, this quote is saying, you know, everyone wants to act like everything is so perfect and this country is perfect and the system is perfect and you would only need to make minor changes. But as we're seeing on this podcast, this that's totally not true. And backing up what Melissa said, like, they'll act like there's change or they'll act like they're changing their ways quite possibly by doing the small things like, oh, we made Juneteenth a holiday and like, but that's, not what we're asking like you're giving us what we're not asking for like juneteenth has nothing to do with change the racial injustice like that that it doesn't equal each other i need y'all to understand our priorities and stop just oh well we gave you this so why are you still complaining like we're doing something shouldn't that be enough like no it's not because you're not listening Mm. so what i hear you talking about is symbolism i hear you talking about the symbolic gestures that they're doing in place of real substance changes um Let's see. Sam, can you read that for us? Okay. Whites, it must be frankly be said, are not are not putting in a similar mass effort to re-educate themselves out of their racial ignorance. It is an aspect of their sense of superiority that that the white people of America believe that they have so little to learn. White White America would have liked to believe that in the past 10 years, a mechanism had somehow been created that needed only orderly and smoothly tending for the painless accomplishment of change. Yet this is precisely what has not been achieved. Every civil rights law is still substantially more dishonored than honored. Wait. And I think that's the same as the end of the Um, I think it's connected. Yeah, yeah, and I think so. Because it seems like, again, that there is not a whole willingness to acknowledge kind of what has been done and how it needs to right the wrongs of the past to continue to move forward. Um, And that is a problem. It says the majority of Americans are suspended between these two opposing attitudes. They are uneasy with injustice, but unwilling to yet, yet unwilling yet to pay a significant price to eradicate it. Um, What does that mean, Jada? Um, Going back to what Sam read, the first thing that came in my mind was critical race theory, where they want to, if we want to teach our history, they want to act like, oh, well, like, like we're theorizing. That's like a theory that technically didn't know it's history. And they always like to act like they're uncomfortable when they want to talk about it when it's not just our history but it's your history you like you can't hide from the fact 
that your people were oppressors. They are continue like the the pattern just keeps going, and unless we learn about it, it's going to continue to happen. And we're trying to stop it here while we have the chance. But you guys are so uncomfortable; you don't want to talk about it. And to me, that's just that's just ignorance, in my opinion, because it's like you know these things are happening, so you can't act like it's like you know these things are happening. You can't act like it's not, and you can't act like this isn't history. So if you to call it critical race theory, it's just you wanting to hide from your history and that's that's a problem for me and they're they are easy they're uneasy with injustice but unwilling yet to pay a significant price eradicated when i think of when i read that when i think of that it's like they see the problem and they will probably talk about it like in my opinion when i see like people posting about it like oh you know black lives matter etc etc but like sometimes i feel like they're just going with the hashtag like they don't actually mean it or they don't actually want to make a difference they're just trying to be like we're not like the other white people like we support you guys like like that's just what that's how i get it when i read it like got you and i agree with Tawana. who's that sam go ahead sam i was gonna say something so basically i think that the second part of it is basically like hey don't 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 please don't don't be unfair to these black people. We I don't like sitting with my people being unfair to black people. Wait, we have to we have to give up some of our some of our country funding. It's like they don't they don't want to give up funding or a certain thing that's unnecessary just to have black people to have equality with them. They they're they're uneasy with that with us being unfairly treated us being beaten us police brutality they're they're uneasy with that feeling but they don't want to have a significant part of something happen they don't want they don't want something something to happen they don't want action behind that they don't want funding towards black people reparations they don't want that but they want but they want injustice to stop. You can't have both. You mm. can't have you don't you can't have injustice to stop without reparations. Mm. And without serious change in the justice system, in the judicial system, in the legislative system, in every system there is in America, there has to be change to act for there to be equality in this country. So you can't just be be uneasy with there being injustice but still don't want to give up don't want to do anything about it and and i think that is evidenced by the racial wealth gap right they don't want to give up none of the funding they don't want to pay uh folks what they owe them um our our folks worked tirelessly to build the wealth of this country and they have not been made whole and so you see that you know a lot of times people want to say why can't you get over slavery? I have an easy answer because you ain't paid me for it. That's why. Period. So it says the hard truth is that neither Negro nor white has yet done enough to expect the dawn of a new day. Ain't nobody done enough. Oh, that's so dope. Uh, while much has been done, it has been accomplished by too few and on a scale too limited for the breadth of the goal. Freedom is not won by a passive acceptance of suffering. And y'all have to forgive me because I copied and pasted from um, from the digital book. So I, did, I know how to spell suffering, just in case anybody's wondering. Uh, freedom is won by a struggle against suffering. 
By this measure, Negroes have not yet paid the full price for freedom and whites have not yet faced the full cost of justice. And I think that's kind of what Sam was saying. Run me my money. That's right. <laughs> I think that's what Sam was saying. Like, there has to be an atonement for what has happened. But that is not the MLK that we get taught about in school. That is not the MLK that, that you know, folks often preach about because they want to talk about love and all this stuff. Um, but this is not, he wasn't just about love. He was about keeping it real and telling folks what needed to happen. Um, and I, I just think that it's just so dope. Um, and, and Jada, just something that you said, it, it sparked me. So I don't know if you guys uh, saw the uh, little clip that I guess uh, one of uh, Congress member Ayanna Presley um, put up earlier. Um, and she basically was telling folks uh, to keep, let's see if I could find it. I'll probably put, let me play the audio for you. Um, so that, that we can get it. Let me see. But while we're waiting for that. Um... Please keep Martin, John, and Coretta's names out of your mouth. We are not interested in your convenient allyship in the form of hashtags and t-shirts. We want law change. So which... Okay. So, and then, of course, we on Instagram, so I cut it off for a little bit. But... She said, we're not interested in hashtags and, and the like, but they've been passing a lot of performative stuff in Congress. They just have. They've been passing a lot of performative things. So I'm going to need her to get to work as well and to stop pontificating on what she thinks is important and scolding other people. People keep his name in their mouth because they've been allowed to sanitize him to be more palatable. If she wants people to do something, she gonna have to lead by example and do something first. Just saying, just saying. So when you guys hear, you know, like folks who are supposed to be in positions of power, and we're gonna get to some of these um, black leaders and what he had to say about them. Um, but we have to hold them to, to a standard, right? And their lack of representation is just not cutting it. Their lack of focusing on the things that our folks have already told them is, is important to them. Like there was a poll and I, I don't have that on this slideshow, but there was a poll that the CBC Congressional Black Caucus asked the folks on Twitter and they were asking them, what is more of a priority to you? Is it reparations? Is it voting rights? Is it food security or some, something else was on that poll? Overwhelmingly, the people responded with reparations they have yet to draft multiple bills. They did have HR 40, which was just, uh, but they are not listening to the people. And when you don't listen to the people who put you in, you have to get out and the people have to ensure that you get out. Um, but I'll stop. It says, there is, there is nothing essentially wrong with power. The problem is that in America, power is unequally distributed. Do you agree or disagree, Didi? Um, I agree with that. I don't think power in itself is a bad thing. I know I've actually had a lot of discussions about this, especially in like my theory, like of knowledge classes and stuff like that. You know, like is power a bad thing? I don't think power is a bad thing, but I feel like we're only taught that power is a bad thing because, you know, we're living in like a colonial world and how like like white power and like white supremacy has literally like obliterated the adjust in the uh, 
don't know what I want to say, obliterated like the justice in the world. So like when I think about black power, that's not a bad thing, right? So I don't think power is inherently bad, but I think um, power when it gets into the wrong hands, like America um, can really just go completely left. Nami, you had your hand up. What did you want to add to that? Yeah, I was going to say around the same thing, like power in itself is not a bad thing. It's when power is given to a certain group of people unequally and they get too much of it when it becomes a problem. When not very morally, not very good people, bad people, horrible people get too much power they can influence entire governments and this is this is the case in our country when power gets into the wrong hands in case of white people white people got some white people got so much power that they influenced the whole how the how the government worked the the judicial system voting all of it so it's so it's basically rigged so against it, so is it the power or the uh in the lack of enforcement equally across the board it's the lack so I'll, I'll i was just trying to say it is the lack of enforcement on that power the lack of control on that power the lack of like checks and balances yep on gotcha. that power so and they don't have free reign to do anything they want with a with the country and its and its systems that it runs on. Melissa, you trying to jump in there? I see you keep coming. Yeah, off. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that, and also the fact that it's not just too much power. I think it's an abuse of power because, like you said, with the poll, if the majority of people are saying that they believe reparations need to be put into place with your power you are you're abusing that power by ignoring what the people are saying you cannot you know your camp in your campaign saying you're for the people and then you get up there and you're ignoring the people i don't know if that's too much power or just abusing your power to be able to do whatever you want and i also think that um power is not bad but i think that lack of representation in power is also bad you know if you aren't there we need more black people up in places of power that are actually going to do something for the people who aren't going to ignore aren't going to forget where you came from you know who you're not going to forget the people you left behind who also need help so i feel like more representation in power is also really important yes and um, I was just, I'm going to be going through slides as you guys are talking just to kind of fill, uh, fill out where you are going in your mind. So this says, black power alone is no more insurance against social injustice than white power. Negro politicians can be as opportunistic as their white counterparts if there is not an informed and determined constituency demanding social reform. And so you have all these people who are occupying places of power and they're 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 just not doing they're being opportunistic means that they're looking for their next thing right and they're not worried about the plight of the people um and so i went through and oh, um go ahead who's talking go ahead oh me i'm just gonna touch on that one real quick too i feel like what it's also calling on um i feel like you know black power like not even just black power is like you know black power movement but in the sense of like 
how we view power, I guess, like just having a bunch of like black rich people is not going to save black people. You know what I mean? Like having a bunch of black people in the 1% is not going to help black people. Sure. Like you could say, oh, we're going to have more people to like help redistribute the wealth or blah, 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 this, or make social programs or whatever. But if those people aren't doing that, then there's really no point. Like there's, you know what I mean? So I think it's also really important because just because like, you know, you have a black billionaire doesn't mean it's good for black people at all because you know at the end of the day someone is still getting exploited and who do you think that exploited person is probably mm. a black so on. i just on that real quick so um i just wanted to go back because you know we talked about the poll the cbc did and then you have oh well if you want to talk about reparations then you have to include the native americans or you have to include people of color or you have to do this or that and what we're talking about or what he's talking about is specificity. A society that has done something special against the Negro for hundreds of years must now do something special for him in order to equip him to compete on a just and equal basis. It's important to have specificity. Everybody didn't go through everything that our folks went through, our people went through. And so to try to put us all in and lump us in is a disservice because that's, they still don't pay what they owe. I am tired of symbolism. They put, what, Maya Angelou on the back of a quarter? Who cares? I don't care about that. That is not reparations for my people. Like they, like Jada said, they put in Juneteenth. Then there was a hip hop day or something. Then, then there was all these things that they're doing to kind of say, well, we did something for them but it wasn't policy. It wasn't an executive order like the uh, the one they did for the Native Americans or the one they did for um, the, the Asian community, API community. That was specific targeted policy to eradicate an issue that was going on. For some reason, I, I don't understand why there's not the same energy directed towards the plight of the black community um, in this country. But we'll keep moving because I'm trying to get through all this and we, we're probably running out of time. So, um, Didi, can you read this? Yeah, for sure. Um, it is important for the liberal to see that the oppressed person who agitates for his rights is not the creator of tension. He merely brings out the hidden tension that is already alive. Last summer, when we had our open housing marches in Chicago, many of our white liberal friends cried out in horror and dismay. You are creating hatred and hostility in the white communities in which you are marching. You are only developing a white backlash. I never could understand this logic. They failed to realize that the hatred and the hostilities were already latently or subconsciously present. Where do you see this sh showing up present day? Where do you guys see this showing up? Critical uh, summer 2020. Everybody was saying this. They were like, mm -hmm. You're making so much violence and riots and blah, blah, blah. And you're making so much more of a problem. The problem was already there, hun. I don't like. Right. We just finally decided to take things into our own hands and you don't like it. Well, what do you think? You're tired? What about us? You don't, don't you think we're tired? Like this is this is what you get when you don't handle the situation when we're asking. We've been super nice. You've been super kind. We've been like, like. Uh, the level of patience the black community has is astronomical and so when we finally strike back in a violent manner no no guys like calm down calm down what are you doing you're just making a bigger mess it's like there was already a problem there's already a mess we just well and i also saw this you you guys know when um when people start to stop traffic people get real angry like when they shut down freeways or streets 
and you have to go around them. You saw a lot of folks getting angry and trying to run into people with cars and, and all this vitriol coming saying that, you know, you're inconveniencing folks, right? And it's just, this is what it makes me think of present day, the little inconvenience when folks are literally fighting for their right to exist in communities around this country. Like it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, let's see. Okay. Uh, Melissa, go ahead and read this one for us. A society is always eager to cover misdeeds with a cloak of, for of forgetfulness, but no society can fully repress an ugly past when the ravages persist into the present. America owes a debt of justice, which it has only begun to pay. Being a Negro in America means not only living with the consequences of a past of slavery and family disorganization, but facing this every day with the pangs of color shock. Because the society with unmitigated cruelty has made the Negro's color anathema, every Negro child suffers a traumatic emotional burden when he encounters the reality of his black skin. True or not? True or no? True. Very true. Why do you say that? Let's talk about it. Why do you guys say that that is true? Do you think that being black children in America, in your communities, there's something that you walk around with either consciously or unconsciously regarding your skin? Go. I do believe that because there are some times where like I could be walking down the street or sometimes I walk into a store and I'm like, I don't want to have my hood on or like, I don't want to have my hands in my pockets. Or I remember there are some times when I go grocery shopping or shopping with my parents. Let me make sure everything that I need is inside my bag or outside my bag that I need. So I don't have to reach in my bag or pull out my bag because I don't have time to get accused of stealing or anything like that. It's just, it's always like this extra caution that I take because I'm black so I just like Jada you're tripping it's like I'm not tripping because what they can get away with we can't get away with I could be walking around the store and they'll think I'm trying to steal something like I'm always like trying to be careful of my actions because I don't want to have to go through something traumatic yeah and so just so the audience knows we are talking about keeping it real keeping it 100 about MLK we are going through his book uh where do we go from here um, we are currently, this slide is page 22, and I will read it, and I want you all to respond. Um, the evidence of the schools is pervasive. Statistics revealed in 1964 that Chicago spent an average of 366 a year per pupil in predominantly white schools, and from 450 to 900 a year per pupil for suburban white neighborhoods. But the Negro neighborhoods received only 266 per year per pupil. In this way, the system conspires to perpetuate inferior status and to prepare the Negro for those tasks that no one else wants, hence creating a mass of unskilled cheap labor for the society at large. Already in childhood, their lives are crushed mentally, emotionally, and physically. And then society develops the myth of inferiority to give credence to its lifelong patterns of exploitation, which can only be defined as our system of slavery in the 20th century. And this is from 1964. So our podcast was born out of the fact that there were pervasive injustices happening on school campuses throughout this nation, K through 12, right? And the issues that black children were facing. So this is 1964. Can you imagine the per pupil spending now? in certain neighborhoods 
Like it's crazy. Sam, you was coming off mute. What's up? So back back then in 1964, $100 was a big difference. And with inflation added, that is probably close to 1000 to 2000 or 1000 $1. $1.5,000 mm-hmm. a difference and that is that is ridiculous it you formulate the narrative to try to say that black that black people are inferior by giving by not giving them the education that we need give, give Give us the same education as as what as white people, but they don't want to do that because they want to keep their sense of superiority over over black people and want to create that narrative of superiority over black people so that they they can stay in power. Mm. That is why they undereducate black kids. That is why they don't reveal the f- full story of MLK because it will. It will empower and educate black people and and black children, and they don't want that to happen. So hmm. they they under they under um they they under resource fund, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. under resource and fund black students so that they do not. They do, they do not get the same education as white students. Or they don't have or they don't understand or they don't want you to compete with their children. Exactly. Right? So before it was separate but equal, right? Um there has never been equality ever. It was just a, a kind of like a, a a buzz term that was going around. So they said that um the to prepare you all for the task that no one else wants, hence creating a mass of unskilled cheap labor for the society at large. Now, how is society ensuring the cheap labor using black bodies? Come on, y'all. How are they ensuring that right now? How are they ensuring that? Talk to me. Uh, y'all need some help? Let's let's mass incarceration it's not even cheap labor that's free labor well they make a couple 21 cents if they if they got something going on or they out there fighting fires or something you know they give them sometimes some some, there's some some (laughs) sometimes yeah but i'm just saying like they're ensuring by not by miseducating you by not funding your schools or your neighborhoods to make sure you have opportunities to succeed and to kind of what they say, lift yourself up by your bootstraps. He said, it's a cruel joke to tell a bootless man to lift himself up by the bootstraps. That's what MLK said. So they're saying, you know, we we're giving you education, you know, cause public education, uh, a free and, uh, what is it? It's a fate, uh, fra- uh, come on somebody. One of my advocates, what, what is it? Fate. Uh, free uh, public education, free and I don't remember. Um, but there's this guarantee that if you go into the schools, the public schools, that you're entitled to a certain level of education. What they never tell you is how much per pupil they gonna invest in those students. So unless we're at the table and we're involved in some of these com- conversations, whether we're looking at the LCAP or the uh, 
local uh, control for, uh, funding formula, unless we're at the tables looking where they're dedicating these resources to, we're getting left behind. Free and appropriate. Thank you. Free and appropriate education. Um, you're entitled to that. But they don't say, are your teachers going to be skilled? They don't say, are you going to be allowed to remain in the classroom the whole time? Or are you going to be put out? Like, we have to be clear that there are some places that just don't want to deal with our children. Um, and so that's what we're seeing is pervasive. But I just want to let everybody know who didn't join us at the top of the show. Didi has a 4.67. So I'm just going to keep on putting that out there because despite these roadblocks that folks are putting in uh, place for our children, they are finding ways to succeed anyhow. Um, and let's go to the next one because, okay, this is the Negro's Dilemma. He who starts behind in a race must forever remain behind or run faster than the man out front or in front. What a dilemma. It is a call to do the impossible. It is enough to cause the Negro to give up in despair. And yet there are times when life demands the perpetual doing of the impossible. And I think that throughout our history in this country, you see people just doing amazing things. You see them like they just we don't have it. So we're going to make it. Um, they did stuff with their hands. They, they do stuff even now in athletics that people come and pay a lot of money to see. Um, they do things. Um, they build things. They 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 it's just. My God, how haven't we given up? <laughs> we just keep moving. We keep going forward. How haven't we given up? Um, why do you think? that we've continued to push and to run faster. Why? I oh, um, I just feel like one of the, like, I feel like one of the most like astonishing things about black people, like is their hope and like, is their faith? Like, you know, don't get me wrong. You also need like hope with praxis, you know, to with praxis and practice and to do the work at the same time. But I feel like no matter, you know, with, you could be depressed every day just from being black. Like if we're going to be honest, there are so many injustices in the world and there's so much just sadness, right? Mm -hmm. you feel like you're destined, like, you know, just you're destined for nothing, right? Or you're destined for death or there's so many targets on your back. But right. black people have always had, I feel like had such a resistance of joy and of hope and of still doing the impossible every single day. And I feel like that's just, so amazing and so honorable yeah yeah and uh, sam go ahead i think as as just a race we have not given up because if we give up then we're never going we're never going to have our children live better than us and that is what motive i think that's what motivates every black person that you want your children to to have a, to live a better life than you did and mm -hmm. have a better experience as just being a black person than you did because it's it's always going to be hard for black people but they but we want to change that we want to change for it always going to, we're always going to be behind in the race. We want to change there. There's always going to be dilemmas and setbacks it, as, as just being a black person. And yeah, and I agree. I agree. And I don't want to cut you off, but we got some more slides to get through before the end of this show. And we got a couple minutes left. Um, Melissa, can you read this for me, please? 
Negroes are traditionally manipulated because of the political powers, because the political powers take advantage of three major weaknesses. The first relates to the manner in which our political leaders emerge. Mm. The second is our failure so far to achieve effective political alliances. The third is the Negroes' general reluctance to participate fully in political life. Let me st- let me pause you right there real quick. Because I remember we do the legislative open houses with Black Youth Leadership Project every year. And one of the kids that came, um, it was a group of kids, and they said, you know, we don't do politics. And we had to explain to them that regardless of if you do politics, politics does you. (laughs) So it's better to be in the room instead of or at the table than on the menu. Right. So go ahead and read the next one, please. The majority of Negro political leaders do not ascend to prominence on the shoulders of mass support. Although genuinely popular leaders are now emerging, most are selected by white leadership, elevated to position, supplied with resources, and inevitably subjected to white control. Let's get into it. Let's get into it because there's some questionable folks uh, occupying places of power. Didi, go ahead and take over. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of, you know, our black, you know, politicians or leaders that are supposed to be, you know, leading. I actually let me cut what I was just gonna say. I, I let, thought let, let me really, let me do this. Go ahead and read this, and then gather your thoughts as you read okay, it. Okay, got you. Um, the Negro politician they know spends little time in persuading them that he embodies personal integrity, commitment, mm. and ability. He offers few programs and less service. Ooh, he is in too many respects not a fighter for a new life, but a figurehead of the old one. Hence, very few Negro pol- political leaders are impressive or illustrious to their constituents. They enjoy only limited loyalty and qualified support. This relationship in turn hampers the Negro leader in bargaining with genuine strength and independent firmness with white party leaders. The whites are all too well aware of his impotence and his remoteness from his constituents and they deal with him as a powerless subordinate. He is accorded a measure of dignity and personal respect, but not political power. He let y'all have it. He let them have it. This is why they don't read Dr. King. (laughs) He basically told you that you're useless (laughs) because you were selected by certain people, but not the community. Come on now, Dr. King, say something. What do you have to Go ahead. Go ahead, Didi. Yeah, I just feel like a lot of stuff, like we also see, I feel like a lot of the summer in 2022, it was like, there's certain people who think they're like, oh, the leader of the people, right? And all they want, like, they're just, they kind of just want like the fame. Like they're, you know, they're always trying to be in the front. They're always trying to get in the newspaper. They're always trying to do this and that. And they're always trying to just be like, oh, look, I'm the black people's savior, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, what are you doing though? Right? It's like you're so obsessed with like fame and like almost like how you you look like you're doing a lot, but you really ain't. And I feel like you really need to you people always need to like think about what they're doing to be done with like a root of passion. Because if not, it almost just seems like you're doing it just like to do it, or like people are doing it like for the wrong reasons, and then we never really see progress. Yeah, and I'm Sam, I'm gonna come to you real quick, but I would submit that this this uh, passage or this part of the book that right now, a lot of these people in these positions posted about Dr. King today. A lot of people held various events in different communities like like they wasn't chosen. <laughs> Let's get into it. Come on, Sam. What you want to say? So the, these Black people that are politicians, they, 
representation is not in you. You are a figurehead of representation. You are just you are just the thought of representation, but not the actual. But you're not actual representation because you you got to that status because you disassociated yourself from be, mm. from actually standing up for the for for black people and how are so many so many bills and laws that help black people declined in Congress and Senate if you're if you're the one that's advocating for how are you not being outspoken to this how are you not holding your colleagues in Congress accountable I know if, look yes go ahead yes <laughs> if you are so-called representation actually do it get out and do it because you're not you're just you just like the theory of being representation but you're not because you're not actually helping the average black person mm. Mm. come on it says we have to demand so they won't do it unless the people make them do it right and this is what people have to understand about people that we lift up in positions of power in terms of politicians politicians work for the people it's not the other way around so the way you get them to do their job is you expect it you demand high and when they don't you get them up out of there and we can't be complacent with saying well at least it's a black person what good is it is having a black person in a position of power if they're not going to yield the power or wield the power Come on now, stop. Uh, it says we have to demand high standards and give consistent loyal support to those who merit it. Politics is an exchange. It is not a gift. That's from Yvette Carnell. Yvette Carnell, shout out to Breaking Brown. Uh, politics is an exchange. It's not a gift. You have to earn my support. If you're not doing anything to get my support, your color is not going to help you. Period. That's how we have to be. Uh, we have to learn to refuse crumbs from the big city machines and steadfastly demand a fair share of the loaf. Now, we're not talking about having the whole loaf. We're talking about having our fair share of the loaf. I think we're very, we're very fair in that way. I think we're very, uh, we're, we compromise in that way. We don't want it all. We just want you, when you giving it out to other groups, where's our portion? That's all. We don't want no more crumbs. We want whole pieces, whole pieces. Um, let's see. Laws only declare rights. They do not deliver them. What does that mean? It. Sorry, well, go ahead. I'm, okay. It matters on enforcing the law. There, like it said in the book, it said that the, the segregation law was passed, but civil rights leaders were still getting killed after the fact. Mm. So there is there is no equality if civil rights leaders are still getting killed after segregational after the segregation law. There needs to be an actual community of equality throughout the government because the government does not care. They get them free pass in the judicial system for killing these people. Oh, you didn't do anything. It's just an, you just got accused for doing it. No, they just got free passes to do it, and then segregationists were happy and all jolly because there if there's no enforcement of the law the law may as well not exist come on sam all right let's see let's see 
I'm going to have to skip some. Okay, this is the last one I have. Okay. Uh, Jada, go ahead and read it. The white establishment is skilled in flattering and cultivating emerging leaders. It presses its own image on them. And finally, from imitation of manners, dress, and style of living, a deeper strain of corruption develops. Mm. This kind of Negro leader acquires the white man's contempt for the ordinary Negro. He is often more at home with the middle class white than he is among his own people. And frequently, his physical home is moved up and away from the ghetto. His language changes, his location changes, his income changes, and ultimately he changes from the rep represent, representative of the Negro to the white man into the white man's representative to the Negro. Mm. Mm. The tragedy is that too often he does not recognize what has happened to him. Ooh. He's in here. He's in here lighting folks on fire. <laughs> I wouldn't read this either if I was them. These same folks that's been in positions for 83 years, just comfortable, while the majority of the people are still struggling, while our children are being consistently pushed out of schools. But they got theirs. So y'all go get yours. Y'all go figure out how to get yours because they got theirs. And we got to stop that. You know what I mean? We have to stop allowing folks to be the representatives of the white man. <laughs> to the black people and not represent black people um and i know we went through that really really fast and and y'all get did a great job um just going along with that but what is something that stuck out to you as you guys were kind of preparing for today i know you took your own notes and we got a couple couple minutes um but i want to know one thing that stuck out either you can tell me from the slides or something that you noticed go ahead jade i see your finger um i remember watching a video about this specific book and um, I really liked uh, a man had made a comment and he was talking about how, you know, how they, they whitewash MLK when they talk about him during, you know, MLK holiday. And, you know, he's just a dreamer and he's all about love and peace and, you know, love fights love and this, this and that. And he said that this book kind of gives you that reality. Like it makes him less of a looking like less of a dreamer and more of a realist because mm -hmm. this is realistic and they don't want to teach this because it's the truth and they don't want to teach the truth because it would contradict everything that they're saying and they don't like that. Mm. Mm. Melissa, something that stuck out. Yeah, so I also watched um, the video and skimmed through the book and this quote that I found, I thought was relevant then and is really relevant now. I mean, it's a long one, so I'll read a short part of it. The problem is that in search for wholeness, all too many black people seek to embrace only one side of their natures. Some seeking to reject their heritage are ashamed of their color, ashamed of black art and music and determine what is beautiful and good by the standards of white society. Wow. So yeah. I thought that was just really interesting because I know it relates so much to black people today who are, even if you learn about your history, it'll, it might make you uncomfortable and you want to totally disassociate from that. Or some people who find not necessarily comfort in that, but who want to, you know, embrace that fully. But then there's also, you know, the white standards in society that determine almost all of it. Yeah. And just for context, for the people uh, listening, uh, you all got the PDF of the book and you also got a link to a video by Breaking Brown. They had a book club on this particular book, Where Do We Go for, From Here, uh, written by Martin Luther King. So um, that is the video that they are talking about. They watched. And uh, Sammy, something that stuck out to you, either from the slides or your own research. Something that stuck out to me was just he was he. 
MLK was blunt about it. He wasn't going to tiptoe around it. He wasn't going to try to not hurt your feelings. He was going to say how it is, and he didn't care because that's how it needs to be. You Mm. don't need – white people don't need to be sugar-coated, and and people need to be told how it is. Mm. I love it. I love it. Adia? Um, I think two things, sorry, I know we're running out of time, but two things that most stuck out to me um, was that one thing about MLK that I always think about is it's true. He was, you know, I guess about love and he was a compassionate person, but he was also just about radical love. And it's like, you can't be, you can't spread love with being complacent with hate. That's just not Mm. how it works. So sure. Like he wasn't like, oh, you know, like how Sam was saying, he's not going to tiptoe around it and just be like, oh, you know, the white people are just saying this because this and da, da, da. like he was really he was really about it, but he was he was more radical than people are making him out to be. And that doesn't mean that he wasn't a loving person, obviously, but he was just about radical love in a sense. And then also, I think one thing that stood out to me is like we've been saying, I feel like we said this on the podcast a lot. Um, no change is going to happen with white comfortability. And he said that a lot, too, is that white people need to change themselves and work on themselves if we're going to have any progress at the end of the day. Um, and it's not just in the hands of marginalized communities or just black people to, you know, um, sorry, to like justice. So, yeah. Well, I, I think that it's, I think that those are really good takeaways and I'm, I'm happy that you guys spent time even looking into this. Cause a lot of times people think that you guys are just talking out of the side of your neck and you're not really sure what it is that you're, you're alluding to. So I think that it's important when folks start to ask you about, you know, different people in history that you are well-read and well-versed, it's not enough to just be like, um, well, I think, or I saw, or no, let's read it and let's come with intelligent responses because there's always going to be people out there ready to challenge you. And so when you say, you know, let's keep it real about Martin Luther King, he wasn't this fantastical, you know, uh, illustration that people like to put out, but that he actually has some substance, a lot of substance where he challenged not just the white community, he challenged the black community too. And so he had equal smoke for everybody. So he was about equality. All y'all can get it is what I took from his book. Um, And he was very, very honest about his assessment of how people move and react. Now, the other thing is when they say that he responds or they think that he's all about love, he was also a preacher. And I don't know too many preachers that's just going to get up in the pulpit and talk about hate, right? So um, I think that in context, the way that he spoke as a preacher, that might kind of um, give people the impression that because he's a Christian, that that they can't get the smoke. And they can. And he was very, very um, strategic in the way that he laid his message out. But he wanted people to be held accountable. Right. Accountable for their accountable for their inaction, accountable for their apathy, accountable for their contradictions. Like he wanted everybody to be held accountable. And that's the equality that I think MLK uh, really spoke to. And that's the one that they really need to get get um, real about. Um, because I don't want to see no more marches, caravans, or any of those. Those are cute and those are symbolic. But I need people to get activated and to be at these tables. And we have to, in a sense, figure out, get more mature about how we approach things politically. Because every other group is politically savvy. 
and we got to get there too. So we've run out of time for today. I thank y'all for uh, joining us. And I thank you guys for joining the conversation. It's always a blast when we can talk about what's really going on. Um, join us next week. I don't know what our topic is going to be, but it'll be, uh, uh, <laughs> she said she's more of a Malcolm girl. Well, I mean, I'd have to do more research on Malcolm, but honestly, sis, I just see a difference in the strategies. Like the kids said earlier, it's a difference of strategy. Um, he's by any means necessary. And um, Martin was more strategic in the way of, okay, we got to build political power. Now, if you don't want to be at the table politically and you just want to be a gangster or you want to deal with people in that way, um, just know that you're not going to be invited to certain rooms. So there is a, a level of uh, strategic and uh, strategic uh, alliances that we need to do um, to get in there. Uh, but once you get in there, what are you saying? And he had this one quote and I, we did not get to it, but he said, what good is it for a black face to be in the room mute? I was like, Ooh, tell them, tell them. Um, well, we can talk about the UN, but I'm talking about specifically this country and what it is that we needed to do in order. I mean, we can talk about bringing the UN in. I mean, where are they at? Okay. But anyway, we'll bring that up. I think that that's a, that's a good one. And maybe we should get into a Malcolm book and discuss that at some point. Uh, and we'll, we'll put that on the calendar. So with that, we're going to hit y'all with the wave. We'll see you next week right here on Facebook and, uh, YouTube, uh, four o'clock for sure. Uh, yeah, we are black versus the board of education. Sam is already doing his wave. I'm just going to wave my hand and we're going to see you next week. <laughs>